Hi everyone, you're listening to the Vialucci podcast, uncensored and completely unedited discussions about life and everything in it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, hello, hello. Sorry, I just realised at the last time I haven't got my watch on, so I've got to do the awful thing again of having a phone on so I can see it. So I'm not ignoring you. If the clock's there, I just want to make sure we get you out. Okay. Right, so there you go. Nessa. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Great good, uh, to be here. From Norfolk? Oh, yes. How yes. long does it take to get to Norfolk Drive? About four hours. No, is it that yeah. long? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's, um, that's the joy of Norfolk. It's really oh, it's inconvenient. more than two hours. <laughs> is yeah. it because it's a slow drive or is it a distance? It's a distance and I live on right on the coast in Norfolk. Um, right, so it's that extra bit. It's to, the yeah. extra bit, which means nobody really goes there unless they really want to, Right, which is great. Yeah, when I go to Devon, it feels like... Um, it feels like the way the world should be. Absolutely. <laughs> less traffic, people talk slower, everything. Yeah, but I I grew up in South London and right, okay. living in rural Norfolk now is lovely. I'd have killed myself if I'd grown up. Yeah, it's yeah. enough to feel like a holiday. Do you know, it's a diff- that, is that different yeah. enough? No, it's lovely. Right, so um, genetics. Okay. Right, so um, so what you, you oh God, your, your PhD is in what, virology? Oh yeah, I mean. Is that so, from Edinburgh? I did a PhD in virology from Edinburgh, but then I worked in neuromuscular disorders and then vascular disorders and then drug discovery. I'm one of those scientists who just flits about a lot doing whatever's fun at the time. Right, yeah. Um, How did you get into that? Into Into the the PhD and whatnot? Um, I was just always really into science. I was a very geeky kid. There's no family history of it or anything like that. Um, I went briefly to veterinary college to become a vet and discovered I was really, really crap at it. And it was the most boring course in the world. And I'm allergic to animals and hay. Right. So I left (laughs) that. Hay. Um, And then I became a forensic scientist and studied at the same time. Did an immunology degree. And you never went into it. A, a criminal f- forensics? Did that ever pop its head up? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. did it for about five years. Oh, okay. But um, at the end of that, I thought what I'm really now into is the basic science, so went and did a PhD. But it was oh. fun being a forensic scientist. What was the PhD in? So my PhD is in virology. My degree okay. was in immunology. So I worked on a virus that's in that infects sheep and was related to HIV. So right. it was at the time and there was lots and lots of research into yeah. HIV. And I just quite fancied the PhD, had oh, a really nice. good time, and then just carried on doing stuff that was completely unrelated to my PhD for the rest of my life. Right. <laughs> I, I saw, so you've obviously authored a few books. Yeah. Um, actually, I should say uh, thank you to Andrew Loney, who puts in touch, who we've just interviewed. Uh, well, he's doing great. this podcast. Oh, he's very, he said, you're very smart. I said, oh, yes, he is. Um, <laughs> and that's him saying that. Um, you, so you've got a few books out, the epigenetics. What, what, what is epigenetics to genetics? Right, okay, so genetics is your DNA code, yeah. and your DNA code, code really doesn't change, which is kind of odd, because if your DNA code doesn't change, how can you have, like, different cell types in your body if they're all using the same DNA script? Yeah. And the answer is this thing called epigenetics. Right. They're modifications to DNA that change the way DNA is used. Right. So they're kind of like post-it notes on a script of life. Right, okay, yeah. So, um, and it used to be a quite disreputable field. Yeah. Proper geneticists didn't really like right, epigeneticists. Yeah, yeah. And that's, um, that's what I worked on for a long time in the drug discovery industry. So I wrote a book about it. Yeah, so how many books have you got now? Like five? I've got three, no, three, honestly. Oh. Maybe Andrew tells you I should have written five by you, now. Just, you're yeah, make, you said three. you're supposed to be meeting up with him. Have you got another book coming out? Um, I, or is this just I'm general planning meeting? another book. Oh. Um, I don't know why I'm meeting Andrew. He oh. just said we should meet, which always really worries you when your agent oh. says we should right, meet. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, good or bad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm not quite sure which. So, right. Yeah, I'll give him a call. So epigenetic. So, um, well, as I said to Andrew, why I had you on... Um, 
uh, I'm fussy about how people communicate, uh-huh. and a lot of people are really bad at it. Yes, I think it's tra- it's modern things. Everyone seems to be. It's like I don't have to go at things, but I think they've had too much training where it's everything's look at me, and rather than people are just calm and can mm-hmm. explain something, it's like. I keep coming back to this. Somebody said to me years ago, and I've seen it in different industries, it takes a lot of experience to do things simply. Yes. And when I listen to you, I always try to pay people compliments from just what I remember seeing the first time. And you were very nice to listen to in your speeches. I suppose you did one at the Royal, what was it? Institution. Institution. And you speak, then there's a pause, then you think, then you speak, then you pause. You're not going, and it was so nice because I could absorb the information. I thought, you're a good communicator. Thank you. That's the compliment over with. Anyway, I second that. I was online last night watching because I only knew I was doing this interview yesterday. So I was I was looking at all your videos and everything you've done, and I've never understood so much as I did from watching you. I'm loving you. I thought it was brilliant. The explanation that you gave with the marshmallows and the jelly tots, I thought was, why does everyone do that yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I was so pleased with that and i've used it so many times yeah. the only time it went down really badly was at a conference that was for dentists oh no who for some reason didn't like something based on marshmallows oh, yeah. Right. Pops. strangely enough yeah don't promote this didn't think that one yeah change that nothing to get stuck in the teeth change yeah, the analogy ab- ab- jelly oh well no it's probably oh, no. not yeah um i was annoyed about one thing <gasps> go on tell me when you, I thought the book had closed on one part of sides and you've opened it up again, when you brought up the, 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 the giraffe with the long neck, uh-huh. and I thought, right, I was laughing at somebody trying to explain to them years ago <laughs> that when a giraffe, it's because one's born and it has a long neck. Yeah. Then you kicked that apart. I thought, oh, don't, because I'm going to get a text any minute um, saying it's not that. Now, we're going to get to that. I don't want to jump ahead. Okay. But... Um, yeah, there was a lot of things I learned. Um, so we're a personal social development company. And when you, part of your, um, uh, I think it was the Royal Institute, you were talking about um, things being handed down to the next. Oh, hang on. Look, to be honest, Karim's holding up a mic. Uh, and yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, <laughs> so um, have we still got the mic working? That's mic. Yeah, you can talk, Karim. Press it, say hello. We've got a new microphone to help the... <laughs> Oh, there we go. Okay, <laughs> thank you very much, Karim. There you go. That's Karim. Um, so it's because people panic and they think they can't talk. I think it's fine. Talk. Don't worry about it. Right. So, um, yeah, you spoke about. Th- I hadn't realised things being handed down and things like that. And one of them was about. I think it was rats or mice, and it was about serotonin from things that aren't cared for. Oh yeah. That. Um, and I thought, oh, how interesting that that. Is it licked? Is How do they pronounce it? Yeah, so this is a study of um, a really interesting phenomenon. Right, so we all know the data showing that if kids have very abusive or neglectful childhoods, they're at much yeah. higher risk than the general population of mental health disorders. Yeah. And we have no way of investigating the basis of that. So people did this work in rats where baby rats were either loved by their mothers or not. And basically that's shown by whether the mothers lick them and groom them a lot. Right. And... Um, if they get loved a lot when they're baby rats, if you frighten them, try and frighten them when they're adults, they're really chilled out. They're really chilled out. If, um, if they're not loved very much when they're baby rats and you give them a frightening stimulus when they're adults, they go completely bananas. They're really, really frightened. And it's because they're at very high stress levels all yeah. the time. And it answers that question, question of, or it starts to answer the question of why is it that early childhood experiences can still be adversely affecting somebody 40, 50, 60 years later? And we think it's all to do with what the 
levels of neurotransmitters are in the brain and that those are controlled by epigenetic yeah. modifications to their DNA. So epigenetics is a really fun field because it starts giving us new ways of thinking about really puzzling conditions. The only problem with epigenetics is that you could probably come up with an epigenetic hypothesis for almost anything. Doesn't mean you could ever test it in a meaningful way and doesn't mean that you're right. And this is leading to problems because there's this old joke in the field. Um, you must remember as scientists, we have a very low level for what barrier for what constitutes a joke in our field. Right. Um, but the joke is if you're ever asked anything at a conference and you don't know the answer, just say it's epigenetic. Right, okay. Because you can explain anything. It's like saying quantum. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Bung quantum in front of yeah. something. We yeah. should <laughs> it's definitely good. I mean, we should have quantum epigenetics and we would be able to answer every right, question yeah. in the world just by saying that. Yeah, so the, the, th so the thing is you are – because you were going into oh god the thing about again is it mice or rats or is it both? It uh, doesn't really matter. It depends okay. on the I can't remember which one doing. it was. Yeah. Um, I don't want to lump all rodents in in the future in case they get the right to vote. But they... <laughs> typically, if you're a rodent, you're having a terrible time at the right, yeah. epigenetics <laughs> yeah. anyway. So yeah. Don't and worry. you was talking about that. It was really interesting about um, the, the, the giving birth. Being a, a small one and a large one being put in a cage. I love this one. And this one's sperm, great. And this is science. This is a so science podcast. This is great. And I, was thinking, I had to rewind and listen and go, well, did I hear what you were saying? Do you want me to yeah, go that for one? it. That one was awesome. So this is an cautionary tale yeah. about how careful you have to be with epigenetics. So researchers traumatized a male rat, rat yeah. uh, mouse, sorry, by leaving yeah. it in a cage with a much bigger, more aggressive mouse. Yeah. And the little mouse gets really upset and it stops grooming and it stops eating yeah. and it gets really kind of pathetic. Yeah. And then they took the mouse out of that cage, the little mouse, and they put it in a cage with a female who was at the right time to yeah. conceive. And they have sex. Yay, happy day for the male mouse. But all her offspring were runty and undersized. Right. And the interpretation originally was that the male mouse had transmitted his trauma yeah. epigenetically. Another bunch of researchers looked at the data and thought, not sure about that. So they replicated the experiment, except instead of taking the male mouse out of its cage and letting it mate, they took the male mouse out and got his sperm. I don't even want to think exactly, about how yeah. you get sperm out of a baby. They put a him into mouse. a room. They put him into a room, yeah, with some... <laughs> video of other some, Yeah, you know, some really dodgy <laughs> yeah, mouse yeah, magazines. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, they used the sperm. Uh -huh. And when the female gave birth... All her mice babies were of completely normal size. Right. It wasn't that the male mouse had transmitted its trauma. It was that the female mouse had looked at this pathetic specimen yeah. of mouse and coming towards her and just gone, oh, God. Yeah. Oh, all right then, but I'm not putting any energy yeah. into these babies because you're pretty inferior and I want to save yeah. most of my energy for when a better mouse comes yeah. along. So you have to be incredibly careful with these experiments. There are loads of confounding yeah. variables, but it does lead to lunatic experiments. There was like that thing that was going around about um, they put a, a mice, let's just go with rats, they put a rat in a cage and it was the thing where it hit the pleasure centres of its... But then they said it just went for the pleasure. But then it turned out what the bigger thing was that they gave it... It was in a solitary confinement when it was done. So, yeah, of course. Yeah. But when it wasn't and it was in a community, it tended to not. It totally depends, these experiments, on how bored and yeah. how fed up the animals are. Um, so mice and rats are fairly sociable creatures. Yeah. And if you give them nothing else to do, of course they'll keep going. Yeah, go yeah, on, give exactly, me another yeah. milk button. Yeah, that's it's kind like of people thing. picking things to, for their. It was Absolutely. a LinkedIn profile, wasn't exactly scientifically. Exactly. But, but oh, there was one I heard. Oh God, I, I'm going to try and remember this now. Do you know the one they they put the um, 
that are wild rats and they, they put them in a bowl of water that they couldn't climb out of and they want to see how long they last Oh, for. yeah, the despair test. Yeah, did you? Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. It's fascinating and kind of grotesque all at the same yeah, time. I, I mean, ha- I'm not necessarily opposed to animal experimentation, um, but it's kind of like... I was even quite feels, far. You kind I of think. got a feel of Have you heard sorry about it? Yeah, that. I have. It's, I've signed a petition to get it banned. <laughs> hang on, are we, so we're talking about the same thing? I hope so. It's, um, I, I read that it was an experiment where they're just put under such stress. I, I think it's the one that I'm thinking about. Go it's on. the water, isn't it, where they can't get out and they're yeah. left. Yeah. You basically wait to see how long it is before they give up trying yeah. to swim. Yeah. Um, and I haven't ever done those yeah. experiments myself, apart from anything else. I'm really allergic to rats yeah. and mice. Um, <laughs> but you do the experiment and then you, of course, use like things like pharmacological in, um, drugs to see if you can make them keep swimming for longer or if they become more depressed, etc. One of the problems is what people are trying to model with those experiments are really complex human disorders and human right. conditions. And it's one of the main reasons why we're not making much progress in psychiatric research right, yeah. and psychiatric treatments is because we don't have good animal models to test. So people use... What are they trying to prove with that experiment? Um it depends. So that's used as a model and it's used to test all different sorts of ideas. So some are around, can we develop drugs that would get people out of a state of depression faster? Can we develop drugs that would um, allow people to be less anxious, etc.? So they're addressing, they're trying to address really pressing human health problems because mental health disorders yeah, have such a massive sense. toll. Um, the question is always, is the model any good? And most of the time, actually, those models are not very useful. They don't translate well into humans. Yeah. So I'm not saying they should never be done. And certainly in the UK, we have pretty much the tightest regulation in the world. Mm, yeah. So animal experiments in the UK are done to a much higher standard and have much more oversight than almost anywhere else. But it's a really big problem in neuropsychiatric disorders is we just can't model them because no other creature yeah. is as complex as us. Because I don't yeah. think the, the thing of them, how long they're giving up, I think it was like a side thing that they realised. Like a lot of science, you realise other things when you're testing for something. Yeah. So it wasn't specifically about... What they found was that when they put the wild mice in, which were naturally fitter and healthier, they were... It was... That they gave up after like two hours, and they didn't let them drown. As you just say that, when they put the mice that had been socialised around people, they went up for over twenty hours. Then they did it again, where they put the the rats in the water, then took them out, and then did this experiment again, and then they went up to like eighteen hours. So what they realised is the wild rats had no sense of there was a futility. Why bother? I'm just going to die anyway, so I might as well just give up. But the ones that had been socialised, there was a sense of there's help coming, so I can keep on swimming. Um, and I thought there's something about futility there with like that's there's a sense of human in human terms. If you know something gets better. You try a lot more than you think you oh, can. Yeah, I mean, it's probably one of the reasons people do manage to survive in extreme circumstances. Yeah, exactly. Because you uh, think you yeah. think you there is still hope, yeah. and hope is what keeps us going as yeah. a species. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I took from. It. I thought, oh well, that's quite interesting that they right. then did the thing again of put, taking the rats out, then doing yeah. it again, and the rats thought, well, there might be somebody mm-hmm. to help me, so I will go for a lot longer. But it was a disparity between the two hours of a wild rat thinking, well, no help comes, and twenty plus hours for another. I think, 
The trouble is, what you have real difficulty distinguishing there is why is it it's right. why, it's, <laughs> is it because the rats that have right, yeah. the animals that have been around Don't humans were expecting <laughs> someone to be rescued, or is yeah. it because they're genetically very different? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah so well, that's what I say. It was a, a side. It was a, what, what a lot of sort of amateurish people do. They they pull the bits out that they want oh, and they write an article. But I yeah. thought, well, it's, it is anamorphizing. But I thought, well, it's sort of it, that works. A sort of um. Um, it's a side thing, but um, when I read um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's biography, when he became um, president of like the fitness club in America, uh-huh. and they did like the workout on the lawn in the US for the first time, and he was a big thing of well, you how to get people out of poverty because that was him, yeah, and you give them sports, and that's a big way out. And then he implemented nationally all this money to be involved with um, sporting things. We pay the teachers to teach after. Then he implemented all this stuff, but it didn't work, and he didn't know why. Because um, he's thinking, well, I'm from a poor background. Yeah. I had sports. It allowed me an opportunity to get out. And then he went back, and he says this in his book, and he spoke to people. And what he realised is that even though he'd grown up poor, he still had family around yeah. him. <clears throat> and he hadn't realised that these people, you could show them a way out. But if you've never seen anybody achieve anything, then yeah. you, have, you have that futility of why would I bother? Because it doesn't actually get better for me. It's not just presenting mm. the thing. It's how you look at the world, yeah. which brings us back to the rats. If you think there's a point to doing this, um, it gets you out of it. Um, Holly, you've got your fight with fight with Pol- uh, 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 Holly Donovan, the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, uh, Craig's just been doing some filming, fighting, uh, boxing. Um, sports and genetics and genetic modifications okay now can what because there was always that gray are we allowed to study what what can we do to the we're not allowed to do anything to genetic so until very recently we had virtually no way of altering the genome of humans anyway right. i mean there was no meaningful way right and but that has kind of changed now with this technology called crispr yeah. Um, which is an amazing gene editing technology. And in theory, we could now change the human genome. And it's certainly starting to happen for certain diseases. So we're seeing amazing outcomes in sickle cell disease using gene editing approaches. And of course, what people are now thinking are things like, well, what happens if we start using this in sports? Mm. Would it be yeah. like genetic doping? Yeah. Um, and it is a theoretical risk, Um I think it's probably quite a long way off. And most most um, athletes, yes, they have an amazing genetic advantage, yeah. almost inevitably. But that will not necessarily be just one gene that gives them a huge advantage. I mean, the only situation I could imagine where that might happen would be in something like weightlifting, right, where yeah. if you have one of these mutations where you build muscle, yeah. right, you just yeah. don't stop okay. building muscle. And in theory... At some point in the future, you could introduce that to people. Right, you yeah. still wouldn't necessarily get Olympic weightlifters. What you might get is very, very muscly couch potatoes. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, it's a whole makeup, isn't it? Yeah, it's the drive absolutely. within yourself. It's so it's more mind over yeah, matter. It's, it's, it's a family it's, background. It's lung family capacity, capacity, muscle, so muscle fibres. Okay. So w- when you were explaining epigenetics genetics before, is it a case that a sports person is constantly modifying their genes to become the best version of themselves anyway through training and through... Through training will definitely create changes in the epigenetics on their genes and some of those will help drive more beneficial changes in gene expression like constantly improved cardiovascular output, etc. Um, but it won't necessarily 
What you can't do is go, do you know what? I'll do a shortcut. I'll just change my epigenetics and I'll become this super sports person. The epigenetics changes as a consequence of the training that you do. Yeah, yeah. But even with sports people, there's so much more to it than that. I was listening to a Radio 4 program last night, yesterday, on my very long drive from Norfolk. And it was about elite um, footballers and the football academy system. And it was saying one of the things that differentiates those tiny number of kids who, who actually make it through from all the ones who don't, is the level of family support. Because yeah. all the training facilities yeah, are out of town. So yeah. unless you've got parents who can drive you, yeah. if you're, you're from, you can't do it. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's the same in all aspects of sport. So there's definitely going to be a genetic component, but there's also lots of other components. Did you read the well. Malcolm Gladwell books when he talks about sportsmen? Have you read that? I have. I'm trying to remember when the it details was, it, I think he took the model of... Um, ice hockey players and he said it's basically down to what month you're born in because it, when you're it's, 12 and you go it's and you're, you're born at the, the beginning kids. of the year yeah you get more help and focused yes. on which yeah, makes you better yeah. absolutely <laughs> so he went and looked and they were all born at like uh, the, the month that the school started yeah. all these players i thought and, and there's oh, all these other kids who had yeah. they've just been given another year would have been fantastic um, yeah, if you're born in june or october and you're 12 that's yeah. a big it's a huge <laughs> yeah. difference. Yeah. Absolutely huge um, difference. One of my problems, on top of everything else of being dyslexic, is when I was I was I missed the first months of schooling, and what they did is they bunged me. Instead of putting me in the class lower, uh -huh. they bunged me into the class <sighs> higher, and I was dyslexic. and They didn't know anyway, so it might have been talking about. You know, yeah. It was I didn't know what was going on. Absolutely. So then the teachers didn't bother with me because they thought I was a troublemaker. So I didn't learn anything, and I thought. That's sort of what happened. Like I was pushed the wrong yeah, direction. Absolutely. Due, due to the month I was born. It's mad, isn't it? You might as yeah. well do it by the signs of the zodiac. Yeah. But, <laughs> but when you know that, like that's a big thing. You go, there's, there could be up to like 11 months before children. Yeah. But that's just not. Yeah. Well, well, that's how we do it. Yeah, that's. Yeah, we've but there's to nothing to overcompensate. It's not even in the education system to overcompensate. Remember that that child's 11 months and then, older. And, and when you think of that at the ages of four and five, that's yeah. a huge oh, God, yeah. difference. It's a massive difference. It's I, I homeschool old. kids and I yeah. have exactly the same thing. Oh. And they're both born in October. So they're yeah. really lucky. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're basically. It's essentially a whole year yeah. ahead of anyone else that I teach. Yeah. It's totally Absolutely. unfair. Yeah. And you see them pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, can you, um, so I remember the big talk about genetic, what can we study and what we're not allowed to study? Because I remember years ago, people said, that, oh, was it an article I was reading? And they said, you might want to keep an eye on China's sportsmen in about 15 years. If they suddenly stop, because you're not supposed to do anything, but in about 15 years, if they're suddenly bigger. And, so what is, where are we now with that? Mm, I think we're, we're still at the stage in sports where if you want elite sports people your best bet is to invest really heavily in training or have a really good undetectable drugs but i mean program. in terms of laws what was the thing where we were saying you can't study on people you can manipulate you can um the th anything that's a medical intervention yeah. which is what gene editing would yeah. be for example really really strict regulation yeah, around yeah, it yeah, yeah. and so there's no way you can do it legally Right, you can't yeah. start doing experiments without oversight. I mean, I say that, but then you know, somebody in China did. Yeah. Um, it caused a huge yeah, furore. Yeah. But I think with things like athletic prowess, it's very, very difficult to see how you would use something like gene editing to create, say, a better yeah. 400 meters 
runner. Yeah. Because there are too many factors right, that influence okay. that. You'd have to do everything in unison. You'd have to do everything. Um, and it will be more than one genetic factor but in, as well. But in terms of studying and, and learning. You can study. Okay, so um, science you can, can. You can study, mess. yeah. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. So we can study things like what is the genetic makeup of people who tend to be elite athletes? Are there things that are in common between certain yeah. types of, if you look at really successful athletes in any one particular field? So we can study that and we can also study things like you know, what's um, what's their oxygen capacity or yeah, that sort of yeah. thing. So we can study all right, of that. Okay. There's nothing wrong with doing that. You can't start doing things like taking brain biopsies because yeah. that's really quite naughty. We need most we need our brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's no reason why you can't study it. Um, you have to be very, very careful though of things like confounding variables. So you have to be very careful that you can easily imagine a situation where you would say, the really best endurance runners, they're really great endurance runners because they all have the following genetic markers. Yeah. But it might be that the really best endurance runners are all coming from, say, East Africa. Yeah. And what you're picking up are markers of people who are from East Africa right, yeah. who just happen to be really good endurance yeah. runners because yeah. they've been yeah. training at altitude, there's fantastic mm. culture of running, etc. Yeah. So it's really, really difficult. Yeah. I remember when... Uh, that Mike Tyson was starting it. And I love looking at people that have changed in industry, but what everyone said beforehand. And well, you can't have a boxer, he's five foot ten. He's going up against, it doesn't, the balance is off everything. Then he comes along. Usain Bolt was told, you, you, you've got everything wrong with your body for running. Yep. Uh, everyone knows a short person, shorter legs, muscular legs, more, but that's what it is. Then he Quick comes along. Yeah, yeah, short fit. And no, and he's just going, <laughs> just everything we're told, we think we know something. It's, um, it's the same in science. Everyone goes, no, that no, no, yeah. you're absolutely wrong. Oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> but it takes a long yeah. time for people to go. Oh, yeah. instead we just go. No, that's wrong. That doesn't happen. Everyone knows so, this. So, what is the the um in the, the the sort of world ethics in terms of because I'm studying like how do you learn the genetic thing? What are you because you can't study certain things. You can't do the brain. You can't. How are you studying it? So with genetics, because the gene sequence is the same throughout your body yeah. you can just sample from blood or from saliva oh, okay, or right. like so that. Not... So it'll be exactly the same dna as right. is in your brain what it won't be is the same epigenetics oh okay so one of the problems that happens a lot in epigenetics is that people will analyze the epigenetic signatures you know the modifications in a person's blood oh, okay, and right. what i always say to them is yeah but the condition the you're looking at is the brain yeah that... and they'll go well we can't get to the brain right. so we do use the blood and i keep going that's like saying I'm looking for crocodiles up a tree because yeah, I have a ladder, yeah. not because they live there. You know, it's, yeah. It makes no <laughs> sense. So we have to be – epigenetics is an intrinsically very dynamic system and yeah. it will vary according to the tissues. So it always seems mad to me to be looking at epigenetics in the wrong tissues. And what about stem cells? What would it, where does that fit in? So stem cells are the cells that will regenerate different tissues in your body in – Because they um, do have stem cell injections and things. For people you can do damage. stem cell injections. Um I'm not sure it's much different from like the 1930s when people oh. had monkey gland injections for oh, rejuvenation. Really? You think it's a lot of oh, there's I mean like there's a huge rip-off industry in stem cell tourism where it's right. you know, come here. I, I know a lot of mixed martial artists are getting them to rebuild, and you think it's no, I think at this stage it's, monkey, it's complete it's nonsense. <laughs> Absolute glands in a exactly. Roman talk. Of. Yeah, um, I'm sure in the future oh, right. we will see yeah. certain things being used for stem yeah. cells. 
and they will be useful. But I think you also have to bear in mind one of the problems with stem cells is you know that stem cells are really good at dividing. Stem cells are really good right, at changing, yeah. which is exactly what cancer cells yeah, do. Yeah. I'd be slightly reluctant to have somebody going, would you like loads of stem cells? Yeah. It's like... No, thanks. No, I don't think <laughs> yeah. I would. Thank you very much. Move along. And yeah. what about the? And I'm throwing silly stuff at you. I just heard of that. The, the thing of like when you're born, taking something out of the placenta that might be able to help you later. Is that a thing? Yeah, and there's um more commonly what they take is from the umbilical. Oh, that was a mockery. Sorry, yeah, that's all. Um, and there have been cases where that has proved really useful. Yeah. Um, where say a child has um develops a blood cancer and you need to have unaffected yeah. blood cells to put back in to repopulate their bone so marrow. So you take so, a, a sample and grow that. Yeah. And that's legal. That is legal if it's done appropriately, right, okay. if all the right safety guidelines yeah. are in place, if all the right storage conditions are in place, so you're not just getting somebody else's <laughs> yeah, blood cells. Yeah. Um, so it can be done. And some people talk about we should be banking umbilical yeah, blood yeah. from absolutely everybody. Me, I'm not completely How convinced. How would you like to see it finances. used? How would you like to see epigenetics used? Because it's so ethically messy. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad How, thing. How, How very dare you, you my, my favourite <laughs> <laughs> Well, like messy. you just said, with the, is that not, should that not be a good idea? To yeah, that? So, well, yeah umbil- that sounds amazing. So the umbilical stuff could be really good, but what you have to think about, certainly in a health system like ours, is is it's the best use of funding. Oh, right, that's So, see, you know. Yeah. Um, epigenetics, what it's being used for really, really well is giving us new ways to treat cancer, for example. Right, Lots of yeah. cancers, it's they've gone epigenetically haywire. Mm-hmm. Um, epigenetics is giving us new ways of thinking about ways we could treat disease which is sort of like instead of curing them just pushing cells into a slightly new direction so yeah. that they behave as they should rather than in disordered ways yeah. um, it's proving more difficult than we expected um, which might mean some of our ideas are wrong that happens and I think seeing it used in that way is really interesting we have to be really really careful though that what we do is we don't sorry that what we what we do what we don't i don't know i'm going to phrase that again (laughs) we have to be really careful that we don't start going let's have a really fancy high-tech epigenetic approach to everything because i quite often get into situations where people go what are the best foods for me to eat epigenetically and i say lots of fruit and vegetables and not too much meat and they go, oh, what else could I do to be epigenetically healthy, which is a meaningful phrase, meaningless phrase. And I say things like, don't smoke, <laughs> um, do some exercise. Can I say that was genuinely one of the questions I had <laughs> yeah, in my head? There you go. <laughs> Epigenetics might tell us why it's a good idea to eat lots of fruit and veg, yeah. but it won't alter the health advice. We won't suddenly get an epigenetic pill that means we never need to look at banana again. Yeah. You know, it's all the basic health advice is the main thing we need to follow and not worry too much about, oh, my God, what's happened to my epigenetics now I've had a tangerine. Do you, like, if you're an actor or you're you're a director and you watch other films, you judge everything. So as knowing what you know, do you sort of, if you like see something going on, do you sort of go, well, no, I know what that does and no, I better not do because I know what that does? Um, I do a bit, but much more importantly to me is that being a scientist gives you an endless opportunity to shout things at the telly right yeah Mm -hmm. you know when stuff is wrong and even my wife now who isn't a scientist when a particular shampoo advert comes on shouts beta hydroxy what yeah this is what i mean yeah 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 well i heard nitrates in food is horrendous like bacon you know they're not good for you it's just another little bad thing it's another so what are the things that you get annoyed about or not what what's the things that you avoid or get annoyed at get people getting them wrong that you know are damaging or 
Um, so as soon as somebody says, have you seen this study that said red wine's good for you? It's oh, like, where oh, we go. Here right. we go. Yeah. Here we go. And nobody ever goes, have you ever seen this study that says exercise is good for you? Right, you know, yeah. it's like, no, I, I, people will so Not frequently go, oh, I just ignore all this health stuff because they change everything except the red wine yeah. one. I like the red wine. One. Oh, so you're sort of like what I said about the studies where people hear something and they mm -hmm. pick one little bit out. Yeah. And make an article out of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Right, and okay. um, that drives me up. So the, the red wall. wine thing? No, I mean, okay. just, you know, if you want a glass of red wine, have a glass of red wine. Occasionally. Nothing, yeah. Occasionally. It's just nothing. Just what your common sense tells you. Forget it's everything you see. Not common sense. Common sense is a oh, nightmare. Right, yeah, yeah, right. Common sense is right. the way that not we common. justify yeah. everything that. <laughs> what you want to see. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my mother's common sense thing was you couldn't eat a banana after you'd had cheese because it was too heavy on the stomach. Right, I mean, whenever okay. I ever say to her, what does that mean? She'd say, it's just common sense. Yeah, um, basically, I would always go for the stuff that epidemiology shows us. I go would on. always go for the stuff that health outcomes show us, which is, you know, fruit and veg, don't smoke, exercise, and right. ideally don't bring children up in grinding poverty where their parents are massively stressed because that's not good for anybody. Yeah. And actually, do I care whether that's epigenetic or whether it's some other mechanism? I really don't. I'm a terribly bad geek. But there's nothing that you genuinely go, oh, stay away from that. Don't that tends to be, or it's just we don't know anything at the moment, so it's just everything sort of just. No, beat. we know loads of stuff. So yeah. it's it's not about going. Oh, none of it's right, is it? Yeah. We know loads of stuff. Yeah. Um, is there like something also, you don't do or use, or something you do use or do drink? There's nothing. It's just there's a, nothing where I go. This right. will be the perfect okay, supplement so for me. Right. No, basic, I do the. Yeah, I'll take basic. the vitamin D and the um, oh, yeah. vegan fish oils. Oh, okay. uh, vegan omega three. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so you do do that? I do do that, okay. and I do not, those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, I might just be reassuring myself. The placebo effects are marvelous. Yeah. I mean, that's another yeah. thing. How do you that, measure that? <laughs> yeah. How do you do a placebo control trial of placebos? Yeah. It's there's really a guy I listen to in Australia. Um, and he's he was he's one of these people who's got a, a doctorate in this this is and he's mm -hmm. one of these radio players that's well known in Australia and um, he was in I think it's called Crash in the hospital you know mm -hmm. with the emergency yeah, yeah. in Australia and he said he was always doing just like as a younger person he's quite hippie just playing with ideas that people have said that don't know he said one of them was like when um, somebody told him this. He said he'd have a newborn baby and he'd have the baby in his hand. He'd just put it with its hand facing. And he said, I was, just, I was told just drop the baby a couple of inches just to see if the arms automatically mm -hmm. go out because you should naturally do that. And sometimes they don't. And it might just be a little sign of something. Yeah. He said it only happened once where he dropped the hand down and the baby didn't move. And he said it was just something to watch out for. It's just a little mm. thing. And once he was talking about placebo... And he said the hairs on his arm went up. He had this big guy came in and he had a massive swelling. And I uh -huh. can't remember the details of it. But he said this isn't like a an emotional thing. It was some something was on his something. I can't a stomach or something. He said this big guy, he said was more or less crying and had to wheel him in. He said, I brought him in and I realised he didn't have morphine or whatever the version was. He had to send out to another building. He said, But this guy was in real pain, this big guy. And he said, um, so I had to send somebody to go and get the morphine. He said, so I had him there in front of me and he said, I put the drip and all that in him. And I said, and he said, I was trying to sort of get his mind off of things. And he said, okay, I'm just going to put the morphine now. Everything's going to be fine. You're going to be good. Don't worry. It's going to come. And he said, I counted down from five. And he said, it was just a saline drip that he put mm -hmm. in. And he went five, four, three, here it comes, here it goes. And he said, the guy calmed down. Yeah. And he said, the fucking hairs on his up, excuse my language, went up. He said, because that was, that, he said, that's not an emotional thing. No, no. That guy was in serious pain and he did that thing and he, he, he calmed down. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's like, 
It's one of those little soft power sciences in the future that we don't know about anything about. The yet. placebo effect is extraordinary, and um, it has. It's measurable. I it's mean, measurable. it's measurable. Yeah. It's it's real, and it's yeah. not people fooling themselves. And we're all absolutely susceptible to it. And it's stronger if you tell somebody a pill is expensive. Yeah. It's stronger oh, yeah, if yeah. the pill is coloured. Yeah. Um, it happens even when we're told we're being given a placebo. I was Certain just about to bring that feel, up. Yeah. We'll feel much. You better. can say this is a placebo, placebo but I assume thing. you're tricking them. Yeah. Absolutely. It's. Bonkers. We yeah. have very little understanding of how it happens. Yeah. Um, and it's also why things like people will still buy a, gener- a branded Nurofen mm. when they can buy ibuprofen for mm. like a tenth same. of the price. Yeah. It's exactly the same. But, I, you know, I have friends who say the Nurofen works better on me. And actually they're right from their point of view. The yeah, placebo yeah. effect is Think operating. Think of that as a science that we know no. that how you view something. And I saw listened to something on Radio 4, and this was a couple of years ago, where they're now realising what time of the day you specifically mm-hmm. take medicine it's like massively different yeah and it might be you it, you'll have your own genetic i'm using stupid childish word genetics that you will be able to test when you should take a vitamin tablet not when mm, i yeah. take it because yeah. it's to do with your sleep patterns okay yep. and when i heard that i thought oh forget, forget it I'll, I'll come back in 10 years because <laughs> i thought i was sort of going no there's other stuff going on again there is so um, much stuff going on but yeah so I'm trying to get sort of benefits of secrets that you know. <laughs> but your thing is, look, everything is just so varied that we it's just everything's too specific. It's got to... There's not going to be one simple secret answer. Yeah, you know right, when yeah. suddenly everything is about beetroot juice? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, beetroots are good for you because they're a type of vegetable, yeah. you know? Um, and it's there's never that... As soon as something becomes the latest hot ingredient, yeah. you know, kale... Um, hmm. eat kale if you like kale it's not a miracle yeah yeah um, and that's always going to be the case you can't trust nothing now that you're saying it and i'm hearing it from you it is just everything you, you see it's just another advert yeah. some who's being paying yeah, for it pretty much i mean basically just look at the basic health advice yeah. it's really boring nobody wants the basic health advice yeah everybody wants the that magic special, bullet. yeah but for th- it best way that a government can spend its health money is in preventative healthcare doing really boring things like making fruit and veg available yeah. and making it easy for people to cycle to work. I know there was a lot of money pumped into you know, um, studying the genome and all that at yeah. one point, you know, was it 10 years ago or something? Is it still being funded well? It's still being funded well. Right. The UK is very, very good at it. And the UK is very good at doing large scale genome yeah. projects. And it is delivering insights. Um, the original genome project never delivered the insights that politicians were told that it would. Um, doesn't mean it wasn't important. It was a massively important infrastructure project. Mm. We've made huge strides because of it. Yeah. It just didn't do that miracle thing of curing all disease immediately. I, I watched the documentary <laughs> and it was funny because they were saying maybe all the scientists weren't, they, they were all believing it. They wanted to believe it. So they all said like, this thing. I'm not and then sure the pre- if no. they all believed it or they just went, just tell them this. Just tell <laughs> they, them. He said that they then convinced the politicians Pigeons. that you've no idea. Yeah. And he said they all sort of knew, but they all hoped and sort of went along with it. So every documentary you watch, they just wanted to get the money, knowing it would do something. It, it has been transformational. It just yeah, hasn't been it transformational has, right, in yeah. the way it was sold yeah. originally. But... I don't really care because it's been amazing Um, and it is giving us massive insights. And the fact now that you can have, for example, um, a baby who may be very, very seriously ill, nobody knows why. You can get its DNA sequenced really quickly and that may show you what is wrong and you may be able to intervene because of that. Because it now costs, what, less than $1,000 to sequence a genome and the price is coming down all the time. 
And the UK is very good at those kind of projects and right. implementing them clinically. Yeah. So we do see massive benefits starting to come. They're just taking longer and they're not the benefits we necessarily said. What do you think of these 23andMe things where you send away and you get your genetic code? What a great way of catching serial killers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So good. There are disclaimers on this saying that we can sell this information. But I said the problem's going to be in two generations away when your great grandkids have also sold a part of their genetic code and maybe now that's been sold onto a mortgage company that says, well, you've got 20% more chance of being a heart attack, that's car insurance, you have stroke in your family. You've literally sold that away. And it yeah. says it, but people went for... Tw- I used to say to people, oh, there's a reason why it's 25 okay. quid and not 7,000. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's and the company that owns it is the one that was the, the, the founders of Google. So why are they doing something for cost? for Google, because that information is being sold on. So when you sell that on, you're selling half your child's DNA for entertainment purposes. Oh, yeah. There is no such thing as genetic privacy anymore because you may decide never, ever to have your own DNA sequence. doesn't matter. If family members do it. That will go to insurance companies eventually. I I really worry that it will. Yeah. Um, It's... it's there it's going to be so tempting for them and they exactly. will find all sorts of reasons why this will be good for the consumer. And those reasons why it was thousands and thousands of pounds and they went down to 25 quid. Well, the, I mean, the technology has become massively yeah. cheaper, but you know, there's it's like many things in the genomic era which, era, which is absolutely where we are now, which is that it's not what's valuable to the companies is not the custom customer who's paying them to run the DNA test. It's the data yeah. that they can sell on. Yeah. Um, and, but on the other hand, you know, serial killers, yeah. you know, the, the whole forensic side of it's been awesome. Yeah. I mean, I can see the advertising getting in before the, 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 the police can get in. Do you know what I mean? They'll benefit from it before we, the, because they will have to abide by certain laws, the police and the thing. But yeah, I hadn't even thought about it. So you said that. Would that then be used for criminal? Oh, no, it has been already. I you mean, the Golden it. State Killer, um, alleged Golden State Killer, I'm not sure if he's, yes, been, that really, he's yeah. been convicted yet. That was through DNA evidence. Yeah. Um, there's, um, but there's also what's much more of a problem for most people is that classic thing of me and all my brothers, we've had our DNA sequencing done and. Well, turns yeah, out I'm yeah. only a half brother, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. And that's happening all the time. And yeah. of course, there's no counselling. Right, yeah. There's no support. Some, it can turn families absolutely insane. Do, do, do you think it actually works? How that, do you mean? That the, the, um, the, the 23 and Me thing where you find out you're part from here. Is it that? Is that um, just, are they nitpicking things to? I don't, right, need to be really careful here. Yeah. I'm not an expert. Oh, right, I'm course, really yeah. sorry if I'm saying anything yeah. wrong to the companies. I think what's, I think the, it's got much better. I think one of the things that you have to be very aware of, if I were going to do a DNA test, sequencing test myself, yeah. right, what I would do is, and I won't do it for various reasons, yeah. but if I were going to do it, I would send it to at least two companies right. because they would both send me back the same sequence, but what I'd want to see is do they interpret the same sequence right, the yeah, same okay. way? You know, are they telling me? Are they both telling me I come from the same yeah. genetic backgrounds? Are they both telling me the same disease risks, et cetera? Um, so that and can if be done. That can be right. done, but those algorithms are usually proprietary to the companies. So if I would never send it just to one. Oh, I would right, always send it yeah. to two and go, okay, I appear to have 
two different complete yeah. you know, completely different sets of genetic background yeah. right, okay. i'd actually be really cautious about right, this yeah. if you're just doing it for a bit of fun that's fine but bear in mind that somebody else may benefit from have you been um, following the elizabeth holmes and the blood drop thing oh that's so fantastic <laughs> oh my god i mean for you that must be... <laughs> it's it's a real head in the hands thing because it's like i listen to it and, you know, I worked in the drug discovery industry um, and I just listened to it with astonishment thinking, but how did anyone ever yeah, think yeah. that what she claimed she could do yeah. was physically possible? It's, yeah. Chemically, it's just like, yeah. that's ludicrous. Of course you couldn't run all those yeah. tests because they'd all require different outputs, blah, 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 yeah. blah. Um, so I just find it the ultimate case of the whole Silicon Valley yeah. um, venture bros type yeah. lunacy. And it's that fear of missing out by venture yeah. capitalists it was like what we were saying about the scientists everyone just got swept up in it so yeah. nobody's lying but they want it to happen so including elizabeth holmes but it's quite remarkable and it's remarkable that there were no checks and balances yeah. um that nobody ever got proper demonstrations of yeah. this technology which is actually why when you look into it none of the big pharmaceutical companies for example did any deals with her yeah um or rather with theranos because I think the people in the pharmaceutical companies they must very, very sceptical. Yeah. They must have yeah. gone, how could this possibly be the case? Yeah. Um, what What's unfortunate is it means it's now really difficult to get investment in the field right, of yeah. diagnostics. Yeah. Because I've worked with innovators and um, they may be coming up with a diagnostic. And when I talk to pharmaceutical companies, the first thing they say is, how many different tests can it do? And as long as I go, oh, just one or two, they're like, oh, okay, come and have yeah. a chat. If I said to them, it can do 100, they're just like, nope. <laughs> and was it Bye. just to do with the quantity? Um, well, they it. said they could do hundreds of tests on two drops of blood. Right. Um, so it's just a quant. You can do those tests. It you just can do you. those tests, but there's no way you can do hundreds of different tests right, okay. on two drops of blood. Right. We might get there eventually. There is a basic technology behind it, um, not Theranos, yeah. um, but you know this whole field of microfluidics. We may get there. But it's created enormous scepticism mm. in the field, which is yeah. a real shame. But it's in terms of the human drama and the gullibility of people who <laughs> pride themselves on being yeah. so clever because they're so rich, I can invest yeah. all this money. But the fact people the saying this is not real and still bypassing yeah, that. Or how would that work? Yeah. Yeah. And instead it's people, I think once people have made a lot of money, yeah. then Invested they just become in convinced in their own infallibility. Yeah. I, on the other hand, have never made a load of money. Right. So, you know, I can be completely sceptical. I was listening to, um, there was, sorry, you said Yeah, I was going to say, are you ever worried or scared at the discoveries you make? Because I have this mixture of being like, it's so intrigued and incredibly amazed and then suddenly being terrified. And then maybe that's because I read a lot of dystopian novels but where does that you know have you found a discovery that's made you excited and equally scared and no i was never that exciting a scientist um (laughs) (laughs) i'd love to claim i was but i wasn't um i i loved i found it mind-blowing that even when i was doing my phd and i was using genetic modification technology thinking i have now created types of bacteria that have never existed in nature you know nothing scary but just thinking it's kind of mind-blowing. What worries me is that as scientists, we are sometimes ethically really stupid or we just don't think things through. <coughs> Excuse me. So the bacteria I made completely harmless. But you still see people doing things like, hey, we've we've created artificial versions of these viruses, each of which is deadly, and we've created yeah. a sort of hybrid. And now we're wondering, should we have done that? It's like, <laughs> now's a bit late, no. mate. Yeah. <laughs> 
You know, I might have thought any point before running that experiment would have been a good moment to think about that. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I like about the inventors of CRISPR, the gene editing technology, is that they thought about those implications really early on. Oh, they did. Very yeah. early on, they were saying, we will need to be thinking about... Where does that come research. from, the CRISPR? What country was that? Uh, it's a combination of essentially America and Switzerland. Oh, okay. So it's researchers at Zurich and also in the US. Right. Um, and it's an amazing technology. Yeah. But very, very early on, both of them, but particularly Jennifer Doudna, was saying... This is going completely to change the world in terms of what is possible and therefore we need to be thinking about what is acceptable. How do they protect it? So how do you go about stopping another scientist or Um, the the debacle in China with the guy who created the gene edited babies shows that essentially you can't physically stop people. It will be like most other science. You stop because there are international norms on what is acceptable. What had they done there with the the, um, genetic babies? Mm. I hadn't heard about that. When was that? Uh, So this was about three years ago, four years ago. So you can use CRISPR in humans in two ways. One is to treat somebody who is ill, and that's what they've done with sickle cell disease. But in theory, what you could also do is gene edit a one cell or two cell embryo. Yeah. And if you do that, then when that baby grows up, Every cell in their body will have been edited and they will pass it on to their children. And that's called germline gene editing. And everyone was going, right, we must move very slowly. That's a huge step to take. We'd need it to be incredibly safe. And even if it's safe, we'd need to be sure that it was reasonable to do this and that there was no other alternative. And this bloke in China just went, yeah, I've done that. I've done that. What was his goal? What did he want with this child? See what happens. Yeah, like what was the goal here? So the father, the biological father is HIV positive. That carries huge stigma in China. And his argument, uh, the scientist, He Jiankui, his argument was if he modified these embryos, he could create babies who could never be infected by HIV by changing one of the subsidiary receptors for HIV, which he did. Sadly, he did it really, really badly. So he's introduced other changes, et cetera, because the technology's not advanced enough to use that. And also, as everybody else pointed out, there are loads of ways to make sure the dad doesn't transmit his HIV. Simple ways. All of which are simple (laughs) ways. This was not a life-threatening condition. This was not something like a child who would grow up to have Huntington's disease, which is dementia and inevitable death. It's not a child with spinal muscular atrophy who will die within a year of of birth if they have the most serious form. This was for no sensible reason at all. And that's a human, that's a person. That's a person, yeah. Yeah. Um, And what what legally, what happened around him in the country? um, Yeah, so I I sort of feel sorry for him because he did the science really badly. He caused a political nightmare for China and he ended up in prison. Oh, they've done him. So in all sorts of ways, it worked out very badly. About a child. So there's two children, well, there's three. There were twins born from the first pregnancy and then another child. Um, at the moment, they're perfectly healthy, but it raises all sorts of issues about who is responsible for che- for checking that mm. they remain healthy. What yeah. happens if they don't remain healthy? Is it the state's responsibility? Is it his responsibility? Um, and there were also real issues around whether or not the parents genuinely understood what was being done and how oh, unusual it was. So, Was he so, yeah. a, 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 a sort of accredited scientist? Yeah. yeah. He, he and he did it with the right will, if not... I mean, it wasn't... Who can tell? Who can right, tell the yeah. extent to which it was because he really wants to solve a problem yeah. and the extent to which it was he, he wanted to be the first person right. to do this. Do you know do how long you... he got? Sorry. Oh, Only sorry. about three years. Oh, okay. Do you think... That's that, Chinese, uh, well, Chinese, three years. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> three years in a Chinese prison would not be my idea of a good one. Yeah. 
I was going to say, do you think that there will be a time when, because I know that when you when you become pregnant, you can have various tests to make sure that your baby's healthy. Are we going to get to a stage where you can literally test for everything, edit out what we find, and we've always um, got healthy babies? No, probably okay. not. Um, because it, to edit it out, you'd have to do it when the baby, when it was a like two or four cell embryo. Oh, wow. So okay. everything would have to be by IVF at right. that stage. So you would only do it if there was no other alternative and you absolutely already knew this condition was running in the family. Okay. Um, and certainly the way the ethics is working at the moment, you would only do it for something that was going to be lethal um, and where there was simply no other option. Mm. Um, and for many families, you, terminations will be an option they'd want to consider or they will do artificial insemination where they can check very early that the fetus is unaffected and they mm. can implant those. And because of the way the genetics work, you can hopefully always have some unaffected fetuses. Yeah. Um, so it w if it is ever used, it will be in a very small number of cases. That is not stopping clinics in unregulated yeah. territory starting to say, yeah. we can do this. Um, of course, what people are much more worried about ethically is not removing a devastating disease from one family line it's about people saying well i want my baby to be smarter yeah or stronger. i want my baby to be yeah. more beautiful or yeah or stronger or faster um all of those things in theory at some point we might be able to do it. i can't imagine it ever happening because all of those things are governed by enormous numbers of genes plus things like nutrition when you're a developing embryo plus are you born into poverty or are you born into wealth so you I don't in some ways I don't really buy the slippery slope risk quite so much because it's like that is a very, very big slope. Um it's a very shallow one. And I don't think I think it's a theoretical risk, that whole creating a super race of humans. Mm. Because it's just techno technically not. There possible. are so many things <laughs> there that are, are going so to yeah. many things. Yeah. You know, like there are hundreds of genes that each contribute a tiny amount to height. Right. You're not gonna go <laughs> in crazy. and change all of them. Yeah. You know. And then um, you've got the body, you've got the mind, you've got psychology, and it just becomes, it multiplies to the point where you go, oh, there's so many things. Exactly. So, yeah, why would you? It, it's, I mean, I'm sure there will be people who are dumb enough and rich enough to do it. Yeah. But it doesn't make any sense. So really the best things we've got at the moment are still don't be stressed, food. It just comes, that's as best we've got, definitely. Um, yeah. At a population level, if you want a healthy population, you need good social and environmental yeah. conditions in terms it's of access to stuff, food, yeah. in terms of access to housing, yeah. in terms of people not being horrifically stressed because they're on the breadline. Um, inequality is a huge driver of ill health. Mm. So we need to tackle all of those kinds of things. Then you have the issue of, okay, but some people will still get sick. What do we do? Yeah. Um, and there it's a case of finding the best treatments. And in some cases, gene editing will almost certainly yeah. be the best treatment. Yeah. And for sickle cell disease, it certainly looks like it's the best treatment. Yeah. What about, um, uh, I heard about you talking about things like organ donation and having this idea of being able to use pig organs organs because you're able to, to change yeah. them. Is this Absolutely. a real possibility? Oh, that's a real possibility. I mean, one of the big problems that we have in Western healthcare is that there is a shortage of transplant donors. Great example of the law of unintended consequences, by the way. One of the reasons why there's a shortage of donors is because we have seatbelts. Oh. <laughs> so people don't die in wow. car accidents anymore. Yeah. Um, it's one of the really big problems in the donor situation. So what people are looking for is, could we have a way where we use 
organs from animals. Now, at the moment, we the human body will reject, say, a pig heart unbelievably quickly. I think Schwarzenegger, when he's had his heart attack, <laughs> they use a pig valve. Or they... Oh, we can use pig valves yeah. because they don't have any cells on them. So our immune system doesn't notice Why don't them. they have cells? I thought everything They're was... just um, fibrous tissue. Oh, right, okay. Oh, it's like a joining thing. There's nothing mm. going through it. Okay. No, exactly. They're mechanical oh. things. And our immune system, for some reason, doesn't recognise those. Right. But if you wanted to put the whole pig heart in, yeah, okay. our immune system would basically do the... Anything that's functioning is a different... Okay. Anything that has cells that can signal to the immune system, oh, I'm different. Right. Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me, so in the same way that if you have a human, if you get a human heart transplant, you have to be on immunosuppressant drugs. Right, of course. Well, yeah. it's like that, but massively bigger right. in terms of our response to the pig heart. But it's changing, and gene editing would almost certainly create pig hearts, right. which can be transplanted into humans. And we've seen rapid progress in that field, so it could transform transplant biology. And uh, why, why the pig thing? Why not monkeys? Uh, they're though? mechanically very similar to us. Not the monk apes. No. <clears throat> um, with the apes, absolutely nobody would consider it ethically acceptable oh, just to that. keep apes as donor species. But pigs, they would. Is that what it's basically come down yeah, to? Yeah, I mean, we eat oh, pigs right. all the time, don't we? We have millions of pigs. Oh, there's double standards the going on there. Yeah, I thought there really? can't, be the, not, can't yeah. be the double standard I was thinking about. I thought, no, there just is. It's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's just we, we value But they're not apes growing not something pigs. separately. They're, you have to have the whole animal. Like yeah, can you yeah. grow it separately? Sorry. Uh, not at the moment. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Do you think that's a possibility? Possibly in the future with bioengineering, but why would you? It'll always be cheaper just to have right, Percy Pig yeah. sitting in a crate somewhere. And yeah. You've also got to add money into the city. That's basically just going to be that as well. Like what's money cheapest always drives to, it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But also it's, um, yeah, it's just convenient. I mean, you might, and certain, in the future you might go for biomechanical hearts, yeah. but the technology is so much further off there. Okay. So, yeah, pigs, there you go. Well, to end... I always want to end up because I always think, oh, the future, you can't trust human beings. I'm, ter- I'm the same. I'm yeah. terrified. You know what? Nobody. Somebody's just going to go, I'll have no, a go. We're a dreadful species. But, we're an absolute yeah. blight on the planet. You've mentioned yeah. the, the sickle cell thing. Mm-hmm. So, what happened there then to end on like a positive? What? Okay. Sickle cell. <laughs> awesome. Explain what it is. Right. Sickle cell disease is a condition where there's a problem in the protein in your blood that carries oxygen, hemoglobin. Yeah. Right. And when, if you have. Both copies of your sickles of your hemoglobin gene, if they're both mutated yeah. in a particular way, then you end up with abnormal protein and it bends the red blood cells and they get stuck in the joints right. and it's really painful and you might get very short of breath, etc. Horrible disease. Terrible treatments available up till now. Right. And quite frequently you would find people with sickle cell disease having to go into hospital every month because they were having a so sickle crisis. So what's crisis. the pain? It's like an arthritis pain, like a tight... It's, um, it's because um, the cells get stuck in the minor blood vessels. Right. So you can get crippling joint pain. So like, like an arthritis. Okay. Or arthritis. Right, okay. And it's very dangerous and yeah. it leads to huge problems. And the, the drugs were just dreadful for it. There are clinical trials going on in which people's bone marrow has been gene edited and given back to them so that their hemoglobin is now normal. And there are people in those trials who were previously going into hospital every three or four weeks who haven't been to hospital for over a year. Everything is working absolutely beautifully. Now, we have to be careful that that we don't say, well, that means every gene editing approach will be equally as good. Um, There's been a death in a trial for a completely different disorder recently. (coughs) Sorry. Edit out the common cold. That would be great. (laughs) Um, But with the sickle cell, the the early signals that we're getting out of the clinical trials are extraordinary. It's transforming people's lives. And that's a 
brilliant, mm. brilliant prospect because there was nothing else. There's nothing before for these people. Didn't I just in the last couple of days somebody removed HIV from somebody like they had it and they got rid of it? Yeah, um, it's like two or three days ago, or might be older uh, than that. There are now instances of people being cleared of HIV. Yeah, that have um, got it and that have got it, oh, okay. and because one of the problems with HIV is it lingers, it stays in the blood. Right. Oh, okay. It's an ongoing. Um, <laughs> and what's in genuinely what's coming up in science like what are they doing well with or what's coming in the future what's CRISPR's the big thing CRISPR's the big thing yeah. gene editing's the big thing it's yeah. absolutely transformational in ways that technologies haven't been before and what's looking like like the sickle cell what's is there something coming up that's there's funding's being put into this or that or do you mean with CRISPR or just anything really? anything anything genetically Genetically, um, it's I just understanding more. It's understanding it? more. It's also about being able to do much better screening. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. About targeting health interventions. Um, so it's this whole field of precision medicine, but we have to be very careful about precision medicine. Yeah. Um, sometimes we go, if we know exactly what somebody's genotype is, we can solve everything. The problem is that quite often what we do is we go, hey, look, you're at increased risk of this disorder based on your genetics. And the person will say, quite like, quite naturally, what can I do about that? And you go, nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I have you know. no clue why that is considered helpful. Yeah. Um, so it, what we'll really develop will be using precision medicine to create actionable insights rather than, yeah. hey, right. we know you're a ticking time bomb. Right, yeah, yeah. Off you go. Okay. <laughs> and so what have you... You haven't done any speeches for a while. You've got about four or five online. I have. I am... Um, What's the, the last, last few one years yeah. have just been insanely busy in my professional job. Oh, right, yeah. um, I love writing the books, but yeah. they are something I do on the side. Okay. Um, they're the most fun thing that I do. But yeah. um, that whole tiresome thing of having to earn a living. Yeah. That's very really um, annoying. Isn't it? Really, really <laughs> annoying. So what is your job that you do and get up and do? <laughs> okay. So I retired about three weeks ago. Oh, you've retired. Oh, which is great. So I shall write more books. Yeah. Andrew Lowney, if you're listening, yeah, I promise yeah. I'm writing more books. Um, <laughs> what I specialize in is early innovation. So I specialize in when scientists, particularly academic scientists, have done some research and thought, oh, I wonder if we could turn this into something useful. I specialize in supporting them in doing that. So I train people how to do that. Right. But I also work with universities going, okay, that project there, the science is beautiful. Your academic is asking all the wrong, is doing all the wrong experiments for turning it into something that right. can have benefit. Yeah. Here's the experiments he or she should be doing. Yeah. And by the way, let's go and really test, does anyone really need what they're creating? Right. And is this the right solution? Right. So I specialise in that early innovation of getting uh, stuff out of universities yeah. and into stuff, something that will make the world a better place. Like a sort of scientist consultant yeah, sort of thing. pretty much. Scientist. Yeah. Yes. I shall have that, that on a card. Yeah. Scientist <laughs> consultant. Maybe a T-shirt. And so now that you've retired, are you just doing that? Uh, now that I've retired, I work on the boards of some companies oh, okay, right. um, and I... I'm going to write more books. Yeah. Um, but I've been retired for all of three weeks. Yeah. And yesterday a mate went, I've got consultancy work. I really need you to do. What do you right, reckon? Okay. And because my wife wasn't there, I went, yeah. oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. Oh, and no. Thought, oh, no, Abby's going to kill be in me. Trouble. Yeah. But luckily, Abby never listens to my podcast, so she'll never find out. It'll be fine. So outside of science, what are you planning on doing now that you've retired? Mind that chair squeaking oh, on. Sorry, squeaking. What, um, what are you planning on doing outside of science then? What's um, the... So I'm a big nature geek. Okay. So lots of, of that kind of thing. Bird watching, bugs, oh. um, all that kind of thing. We've got an acre of land so that keeps oh. me pretty busy norfolk and this is norfolk it's not in yeah. england it's like no. london <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. um and then i just plan to 
try a whole load of things that I will no doubt do really, really badly and I'm going to liberate myself from the pressure of feeling I have to do things well. Yeah. I'm just going to have fun um, and obviously building the Lego Death Star. <laughs> oh, we, we, funny, I think we spoke about that. What, um, so what, what sort of films and things do you like? What are you into? Do you watch sciencey stuff? No, because it drives me bananas. Surely yeah. the, 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 uh, the original Star Trek series... No, Star Trek Voyager, but that may have oh, more no. to do with Captain Janeway than anything oh, okay, else. Right. You know, so um, hard to tell. So, but what books do you read? Okay, books I mainly read factual, um, yeah. lots and lots of history. History, okay. Yeah, um, I read very little science because it worries me that every time I open a science book, I'll sit there going, "They write yeah. so much better than me." Right, yeah. So, um, so I don't read very much science. Lots and lots of history. I like detective dramas as, oh, okay. and detective stories as well because I've realised with novels, I'm not about the deep and meaningfuls. I'm about the strong narrative drive. Yeah. And let's have a really storming story yeah. here. Oh, okay. Um, so what are you up to today? What are you going to do now it's raining in London? Well, apparently I'm going to go and try and track down my agent. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he said to give him a call. Yeah, um, absolutely. He said um, he's going to be in the area for a few hours. Yeah, so I'm going to give him a call and then I'm going to head back to Norfolk. Get the good news or the bad news. Yeah, me. absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, it's raining. I'm not saying it might be a bad time. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, maybe I could just do, Andrew, is it good news or bad news? Yeah, just thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's bad news. No, I'm sorry. I'm busy. I have to go back to Norfolk now. Or he seemed pleasant looking forward to seeing you, so I'm assuming it might be good excellent that sounds good right so Nessa, thank you very much for coming on That's especially in the rain and um yeah well, hopefully we'll get you back on because there's a load of other questions yeah, to speak to, but thank Absolutely. you very much and we will be back another time here's your story let's begin the world is fine come on dive in the future's here it's right before your eyes step by step you're on your way welcome to a brighter day don't you know it feels good to be You could be larger than